Welcome to the INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. The Infusion Nurses Society is recognized as the global authority in infusion therapy and is devoted to setting the standard for infusion care. I'm Dawn Berendt, your podcast host and the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for INS. Welcome back to the INS Infusion Room. Today we have two great guests. Our first guest is Susan Weaver. And Susan is going to share with us some research that she has conducted entitled Nurse Leaders at Night, Preparing Administrative Supervisors and Understanding the Role. I think you're going to be interested to learn what she learned in her research about working night shift and being an administrative supervisor on that shift. My second guest is Danielle I.K. Jenkins. Danielle is back with us again today, and she's going to be talking about the year of the nurse. And of course, she's putting her own little spin on this. Um, And certainly, she's going to um, bring in the work of the infusion nurse. But in light of our nursing founder, Florence Nightingale's 200th birthday, She's going to share some of our founder's principles and give some commentary on that as well. We'll be back with Sue Weaver right after the break. INS is proud to introduce the new Fundamentals of Infusion Therapy Program, or FIT program. FIT is an online interactive platform that offers enhanced learning experience through audio, video, and 3D graphic presentations. The program features eight learning modules that take the participants step-by-step through the essential elements of infusion therapy. FIT is available now through the INS Learning Center on the INS website. Consider getting FIT in 2020. Sue, thank you so much for being my guest today on the INS Infusion Room. I'm going to ask you to start out by telling our listeners a little about yourself and the work that you do. Well, thanks, Dawn. It's really an honor to be your guest today. Um, In my current role, I'm a nurse scientist at the Ann May Center for Nursing at Hackensack Meridian Health. And I'm also a nurse scientist at the New Jersey Collaborating Center for Nursing. And that's New Jersey's Nursing Workforce Center. I'm also active with INS. I'm a member of the National Council on Education. Um, Just to tell you a little bit about my career, I have experience as an ICU nurse, a nurse educator, and that's one of my responsibilities as a nurse educator was teaching the IV course. I was also an operations manager and evening administrative supervisor. Mm-hmm. Now, as a nurse scientist, my research focus is on the nursing workforce, and my program of research is on the evening and night administrative supervisor role, in which I present and publish about these critical behind-the-scenes nurse leaders. I live in Lake Mohawk, which is in the northwest part of New Jersey, and I have a 
wonderful, supportive husband, three great, great children. And thankfully, my youngest is graduating from college this year. <laughs> Amen. Yes, that, and that's a good one, feeling. One last thing about myself is my last name's Weaver, and my hobby is basket weaving. <laughs> that's so fun. That's fun. So I'm going to push you a little bit further to um, tell us a little more about your involvement with INS. Now, you definitely have been on the National Council of Education or NCOE with with me and with Marlene Steinheiser, and you have done such a great job there. But there's something new coming this spring. Tell us about that. Yes, there is something new. I um, will be joining the board of directors. I'll be attending the first meeting um, of the board of directors in March, and then will be president-elect. I'm still getting used to the saying this. Well, congratulations. This is exciting. And we are so fortunate to have you in that role. Well, thank you. So let's get into our discussion that we have planned for today. So we're referencing referencing an article that you published in AONL, Nurse Leader. And it's entitled Nurse Leaders at Night, Preparing Administrative Supervisors and Understanding the Role. Now, I found this article intriguing. And I would like you to talk about how you first became interested in studying the administrative supervisor's role. Certainly. So, um, as I mentioned, I was an evening supervisor. And for many years, while my children were growing up, I worked in this role. And when I worked as supervisor, I always wondered what difference I made, what supervisors did at other hospitals. I remember one evening, the nurses on one unit knew I had all these questions. They said, quick, come here. There's a supervisor who works at another hospital. Come talk to her. So then, you know, I had all these questions. Then when I returned to school for my PhD, I learned that even though the supervisor role had been around for more than 100 years, there was no empirical research on this role. Hmm. So, of course, my dissertation was about the administrative supervisor role and how these nurse leaders on the evening, night, and weekend shifts contribute to nurse and patient safety. Since there was no research on this role, I conducted a nationwide qualitative study. I held telephone interviews with 30 supervisors who worked in hospitals throughout the United States. Actually, I talked with supervisors in 20 different states from Idaho. I was so excited when I got an email from a supervisor from Idaho because I didn't know anybody there. From Texas, Florida, Massachusetts, like I said, 20 different states. How wonderful. I also held focus groups with night shift staff nurses at seven hospitals in New Jersey to obtain their perspective of the supervisor role. And what Mm. I found was that administrative supervisors, you know, the nurse leaders on the evening, night, and weekend shifts have role responsibilities of staffing, patient flow, crisis management, and hospital representative. That's a lot of responsibility, isn't it? Yes, and they're the solo leaders. Typically, they're the only ones in the hospital. Some of the large university hospitals may have two, but typically they're Mm -hmm. all alone. And um, the supervisors achieve nurse and patient safety through their role responsibilities and doing whatever is necessary to get the patient, staff, and hospital safely through the shift. Now, I have a question for everyone. Can you guess 
in this nationwide research study with administrative supervisors what was the most common clinical skill they performed. Boy, I think you you're going to stump us, but <laughs> it, go ahead and tell us. It's inserting difficult IVs. <laughs> so your go-to person was yep. the administrative supervisor. That's correct. Mm-hmm. That's correct. I do remember a guy named Jim, who was the night nurse supervisor, and you bet he had his own little stash of Jelco IVs, and <laughs> and he he would be called every once in a while um, prior to a vascular access team placement in that organization. Yeah, yeah. Every one I interviewed, I asked them about clinical skills, and I talked about different ones, you know, um, but. Just about all the supervisors said it. They were the ones called on to insert difficult IVs. Now, just curious, was that something that you needed to do as well? Did you find yourself being asked to place a difficult IV? Oh, yes. Yes. And then, you know, also at my, when I was evening supervisors, also accessing portacaths too, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But, and many supervisors talked about the portacaths too and how, because, Who's working on the night shifts? A lot of times it's the newer nurses who don't have a lot of experience. So I can still hear one supervisor's voice saying, I'd bring the the new ones along with me to show them how to access a portacath or, you know, how mm-hmm. to do different procedures. Sure. And so now I'm continuing my research on this important leadership role from this study. So how does this research on administrative supervisor role relate to infusion nurses specifically? So that's a really good question. And I think this administrative supervisor relates to infusion nurses in three ways, shift work, leadership, and education. Mm -hmm. Um, Regarding shift work, I know many infusion nurses work evenings, weekends, and holiday shifts, just like administrative supervisors. Uh, Honestly, I don't know how many infusion nurses work night shift. But regardless, I think it's important to think about patient care on these shifts compared to the typical day shift. Definitely. Now I'm going to go back to 1932, the oldest nursing journal, American Journal of Nursing. Blanche Peppercorn published an article, and she stated in this article, she did a small study And she stated, when a hospital admits a patient, the hospital is charged with the responsibility of caring for the patient no less by night than by day, but does it? So I think that's an important question for us to think about today. Mm -hmm. Think about what do you think regarding what happens on the evening, weekend, and holiday shifts? Mm -hmm. So more than 80 Mm -hmm. years ago, nurses began questioning the difference in patient care at night. Recent studies have shown an association between poor patient and nurse outcomes with the evening, night, weekend, and holiday shifts. Research has yet to determine the exact reason for these poor outcomes, but we do know these shifts have been found to be different. There is less nursing and ancillary staff. There is newer staff. So think about when you started your career, what shift did you work? I worked evenings even before I was supervisor. Mm-hmm. On these shifts, there's fewer services available. A lot of people have to be called in when things are needed. 
And then there's less management and supervision, typically just one supervisor for all the nursing units in the hospital. But I always like to throw in a positive note. In the research, night shift nurses did identify some positive factors to working these shifts. More teamwork, more learning opportunities, along with autonomy and independence. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. think about these things when you are working evenings, weekends, and holiday shifts. So the other, another way I think this research, this article relates to infusion nurses is regarding leadership. Just as administrative supervisors are leaders, I believe infusion nurses are leaders. Definitely. Actually, the Association, the American Association of Critical Care Nurses, AACN, recognizes all nurses as leaders. And in their six standards for establishing and sustaining healthy work environments, one of them is authentic leadership. And being authentic, being your best self is so important, especially now in the 21st century. I think it's important for infusion nurses to embrace their individual leadership roles. You, we are the leaders of infusion therapy at our organization. Mm -hmm. And just to tell you briefly about authentic leadership, an authentic leader is an individual who is genuine, trustworthy, reliable, and believable. Not hard to do, right? Just kind of be yourself, your best self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the characteristics Mm -hmm. of authentic leadership is or are to understand their purpose, to have strong values develop trusting relationships, self-discipline, and act from the heart. Authentic leaders have a genuine desire to serve others. They know themselves, and they feel free to lead from their core values. So think about how you are an authentic leadership and how you can improve your leadership skills. Remember, all infusion nurses are truly leaders. And the last way I think this research relates to infusion nurses is regard to formal education. In my multiple studies with supervisors, many supervisors have a diploma or associate degree as their highest level of education. Despite recommendations for graduate education for nurses and nurse leaders by professional organizations, multiple studies still found that the majority of administrative supervisors do not achieve education beyond their entry-level education. The Institute of Medicine, the IOM, which is now referred to as the National Academy of Medicine, in their 2010 Future of Nursing report, recommended that nurses should achieve higher levels of education, and nurses with diploma and associate degrees should be encouraged to enter BSN programs within five years of graduation. So I would encourage infusion nurses to continue your education, even seek that PhD. We need more research to be conducted, especially in infusion therapy. Well said. Thank you. So, Sue, let's delve into your article a little deeper. Um, I want you to tell us about the research and the methods that you used in this study. Okay. So in my dissertation research, I uncovered that supervisors lacked role-specific education. So in 2017, we held our first annual crisis management education program. 
And it was at this conference when the supervisors arrived, I asked them to participate in a research study. And the results of this study are what is published in this article. This study was the first quantitative study on this role. It was a paper and pencil survey. So they completed the survey during the conference. And guess what? I had a great response rate. The purpose of this study, it was a quantitative cross-sectional, which means it was just conducted at this one time, was to describe their leadership style, job satisfaction, and demographic characteristics of supervisors at magnet and non-magnet hospitals. From the my initial research, the supervisors talked a lot about developing relationships with staff and developing a trusting relationship with staff, but I didn't have information about their specific leadership style. It looked like it was relational, but um, so that's why I wanted to conduct this study. So we had a convenient sample of 56 supervisors from 26 hospitals throughout New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. The supervisors were an average age of 53, had 29 years of experience in nursing, and the majority of supervisors, 75%, had a diploma associate or baccalaureate degree as their highest level of education. And this is consistent, as I mentioned, with other supervisor studies. Can you say that again? What was the percentage that had diploma associate or baccalaureate degree? 75% of them had a 75%. diploma associate or baccalaureate. And then when you okay. look at like nurse manager research you rarely see any nurse managers in that role with a diploma or associate degree. Okay. So let's let's move on and talk now about your findings. Can you tell us what you discovered and then tell us if you were surprised by the results? Okay. So in this study, I told you I surveyed the supervisors and to understand their leadership style, we asked them to complete the multi-factor leadership questionnaire. This is a widely used, reliable, valid tool, and it consists of 36 questions that measure three different leadership styles, transformational leadership, transactional leadership, and passive avoidant leadership. The results from the uh, MLQ, which is called, it's nicknamed, revealed the supervisors rated transformational leadership higher than transactional. So whenever I read about a research study, I always like to know, maybe you do too, what were the questions on the instrument or tool that was used? Mm -hmm. I think you learn more about the study by researching this and whether it really applies to the work you're doing. So for the MLQ, the supervisors rated themselves highest in transformational leadership, particularly in the subscales of inspirational motivation and individualized consideration. So think about how you would answer these questions, which are two of the questions on the inspirational motivation subscale. I spend time teaching and coaching. I treat others as individuals rather than just as a member of a group. And then they respond to this on a Likert scale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For individualized consideration, 
think about how you would answer this question, which is one of the questions on the subscale. I talk enthusiastically about what needs to be accomplished. So that's the MLQ. The other thing that is fascinating is that for supervisors who worked at magnet hospitals, and there were um, 33 of those, there was a statistically significant relationship between transformational leadership and job satisfaction. And for supervisors who worked at non-magnet hospital, and there were 23 of those supervisors, there was a statistically significant relationship between transactional leadership and years in the position as supervisor. Okay. So I'm going to have you elaborate just a little bit more on those findings. Tell us more. So certainly. So uh, there could be a lot of different reasons for why supervisors are at magnet hospitals um, had higher transformational leadership and job satisfaction than supervisors at non-magnet hospitals who had uh, the transactional leadership relationship with years in the position. And it, you have to remember that sometimes in leadership, you need a mix of transformational and transactional leadership, especially in the supervisor role. So a supervisor who's transformational, like that one question, I talk enthusiastically about what needs to be accomplished. They are sometimes like a cheerleader going around reminding staff about making sure to wash their hands or using the lift equipment, being really positive with things. But sometimes you have to be transactional and saying, I'm sorry, you have to work on another unit tonight. You know, there's no negotiating with things like that. So mm-hmm. you need to have a balance between the two, but you always want to, ideally, I, I believe you should be more of a transformational leader than a transactional. But even like in a code situation, there's no time, you have to be transactional during that situation. So I hope that answered your question, Don. Very and good. now I'll move on to job satisfaction. That's another item that we surveyed the supervisors about. And we simply asked them two questions. How satisfied are you with being a nurse leader? And how likely are you to recommend nursing leadership as a career choice to other nurses? And the supervisors, the majority of supervisors were very satisfied or satisfied. And there was a statistically significant difference in job satisfaction scores with supervisors who worked at magnet hospitals having a higher job satisfaction than supervisors who worked at non-magnet hospitals. So think about how you would answer these job satisfaction questions as an infusion nurse. How satisfied are you with being an infusion nurse leader? And how likely are you to recommend infusion nursing as a career choice to other nurses? So, Don, you also asked me what surprised me from this study. And one of the demographic questions we asked the supervisors was whether they had received previous leadership training. And it was surprising to me that 17 supervisors, 32% had not had previous leadership training. I kind of had a feeling about this from the um, my dissertation research because the supervisors in my interviews told me, 
majority of them had worked as charge nurses in the ER or ICU. They knew there was leadership training, but they didn't really qualify to go. And then they got promoted to a night supervisor and they couldn't get off to go. So I kind of knew there was a a gap in in training. And I was also Mm -hmm. quite surprised about the supervisor's formal education and that eight supervisors, 24% who worked at magnet hospitals had a diploma or associate as their highest level of education compared with three supervisors who worked at non-magnet hospitals. And when you think about the magnet standards, magnet was built on um, places that attract and retain nurses, support nurses to continue their education, to achieve certification. And they also even have standards that emphasize obtaining your baccalaureate and advanced degree. I really found this surprising. Mm-hmm. So I just want to conclude with I'm interested in what you and everyone thinks about this study. I hope this discussion has helped listeners to think about your role as an infusion nurse leader and has inspired you to read, participate in, and maybe even begin conducting some research studies. This is excellent. So thank you so much for sharing your work with us. Exceptional, a very good conversation. We could really talk for a very long time today, and I know we don't have that much time. I'm going to ask you now if there's anything else that you would like to share with our listeners that would be helpful that I could also include in our show notes. Well, there's one thing that maybe some of the listeners know of evening or night supervisors at their hospitals. I would invite them to reach out to me. Maybe they can come and attend our fourth annual administrative supervisor conference. It's going to be held in New Jersey. It's along the coast in Neptune, New Jersey on April 28th. It's an all-day program. We have uh, topics on leadership, dealing with challenging families, um, workplace violence, creative staffing. We have a panel of supervisors talking about that. And then we're flying in the supervisors who worked the weekend of the Ohio mass shooting that happened in August. And they're Mm going to talk about that event, but then also they're going to talk about what happened the 24 hours after the event. And one weekend supervisor said, yeah, FBI was coming in. And she said one FBI officer, she didn't think he had good ID. So she turned him away, sent him away. And then dealing with all the other people that come into the hospital with, you know, maybe 10 boxes of pizza and you don't know if they're really trying to do good or seeking something else. Sure, sure. So it should be a good conference if anybody's interested. That sounds like a wonderful opportunity. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And Sue, thank you so much for being my guest today on the INS Infusion Room. We look forward to working with you and collaborating with you at INS and hearing more from you in the years ahead. Thank you. Stay with us because after the break, we'll be visiting with Danielle I.K. Dandridge.
Registration for INS 2020 is now open. Investing in your future is always a safe bet, and INS is making it easier this year in Las Vegas. Not only will the educational opportunities be fresh, innovative, and fun, but the venue will offer endless attractions and discounts to help you stretch the most out of your stay. INS has put together four days of education, networking, and an exhibition hall that is filled with the best in the industry. There are special savings for INS attendees, including free tickets to the High Roller, 25% off all food and beverages at the Rio Hotel and Resort, and 10% off at the Rio's Spa. Join us at INS 2020. See you in Las Vegas. Okay, I am delighted today to have Daniel I.K. Jenkins back as my guest. Thank you so much, Daniel, for joining us in the INS Infusion Room. Thank you, Dawn, for having me back. It is a pleasure to be here and to share with you all today. We had such a good visit the last time we talked. I knew I wanted to have you back and that we needed to have more conversations. So here we are. Uh, Many of our listeners know that 2020 is the year of the nurse. And Danielle, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is tell us why it's the year of the nurse. The year of the nurse, it's uh, basically Florence Nightingale, who we look at as our nursing founder. It's her 200th birthday this year. So 2020, this is the year of the nurse. Not only are we highlighting it as focusing on her birthday, it is the year of the nurse to focus on where do nurses fit in the healthcare puzzle. We need to shed the light back on the nurse. So this is your year, nurses, to to shine in whatever capacity that you are a nurse. That's what that's where you shine for 2020. Excellent. So tell us what does it mean to you to be a nurse? Well, based on our founder's response, a nurse is someone who is professional. Highly skilled, well-respected medical profession that's very important and have very important responsibilities. And so what we have to remember are, as nurses, we have to remember who we are. Go back to the definition of our founder. You are someone who is highly skilled. That took a lot of education, a lot of training, and a lot of sacrifice. And you do have extremely important responsibilities. You are the backbone of healthcare. Very good. So let's move on to our next question. Are we holding strong to some of the principles of our first theorist? Well, when we review some of the principles of Florence Nightingale, and I only pull out a few, she had about 10. So we talk about patients should have direct access to sunlight and not be subjected to unnecessary noise, especially when sleeping. Ha ha. Depending on the location of the hospital, a lot of the windows don't get a good sunlight. Um, Noise-wise, very noisy. And when you talk to a patient, you say, did you get rest in the hospital? No, mm-hmm. absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about not receiving that direct sunlight. Well, if we just look at the nursing perspective of this, when we have patients that don't get exposed to sunlight, you can get depressed. Um, you have decreased healing, decreased moods. I mean, things just change. I mean, giving someone just some exposure to the sun changes. At one point, many years ago, we would take our patients outside for so many minutes a day just to get them exposed and get them out of the building. 
It's yeah. funny how you remember doing that. It is don't funny do that anymore. And it's almost comical to think of moving 500 patients out to get a, a touch of sun. <laughs> However, um, absolutely, you know, we do know the benefit of sunlight. And, uh, you know, I think Florence was definitely looking at some basic things that weren't necessarily appreciated, like sunlight and air. Yeah. 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 It's just it's just going back to the basics. And I know sometimes we look at it, we have too many responsibilities. We have too much going on. But, it's you know, it's sometimes just being in tune to that one patient that you may see where the moods change or no one is visiting that patient. And you have a CNA that's working on your team. And there's, some, you know, a couple of minutes in there. And that patient has the ability to get up. Take them out of the room. Take them. Let them get to an area. On our floor many years ago, we had an area that was like a balcony. Mm-hmm. And all of our patients, and we would take them out. It didn't take long. You didn't have to go far. So we'd just take them out to the balcony and be with the patients and just let them have that fresh air and let them have that exposure to the sun. Changed everything. We have to find ways to be more in tune to our patients. The next theory is patients should be kept clean and nurses should wash their hands frequently. <laughs> Use of hand sanitizers versus hand washing. Has that caused the breakdown in the basic theory of washing your hands? You know, I think it's a good question. In most infection control communications now, uh, hand gel is the preferred um, practice unless there's visible soiling. But, you know, I have to admit for myself, there's something about going over to a sink, using soap and water, and doing a good hand wash. Um, what do you think? I would. I have a two-part agreement and disagreement. Okay. I prefer getting my hands in there and washing it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes with the hand sanitizer, and there, there are some other studies on that, too, that goes back and forth on that. Sometimes with the hand sanitizers, um, it's over-drying, so it causes our hands to crack and puts us at more risk for bringing possible infections to our patients. Um, sometimes with nurses, they're not paying attention, so they hit it just a little bit, and they do a quick wipe. So remember with hand washing, we had to wash for so many seconds. You had to wash, sing the song. When you finish singing the song, you know you're done. Do you ever sing the song when you put the hand, hand gel on? <laughs> nope. Put it on, quick. You don't even know it's finished drying before you move on to the next step. So that's the, the, the point that gets missed. Mm-hmm. How about the part about patients should be kept clean? Now, that's that's about as basic as it comes. And, you know, again, we can think it's interesting that these things needed to be written down uh, because it would seem so foreign to us that someone wouldn't need to be washed, kept clean. Um, Any other perspectives on that? Patients should be kept clean. It is so important to the mental health of a patient, especially some female patients. Uh, Their hair may be disheveled, may not have been washed for a few days. Um, And this could be a female that is always well-kept, well-to-do, just, you know, someone that takes pride in themselves but have had a stroke or had a situation where they can't do that for themselves anymore. And so as nurses and doctors and all of these strange people are coming into the room, you can see that patient almost shrink within themselves. Because they're not themselves. And as nurses, when we're in tune to our patients, we can see that and then take that extra care to keep our patients clean and have them feel special, tuck their gowns, make sure their gowns have been changed, make sure that they did get a bath for that day, offer them a mirror, offer them a brush, offer them the tools that they need to groom themselves 
take take a moment to just look into the eyes of your patient and see what the needs are. And if you're not skilled enough to really understand a patient's needs, because some nurses can read a patient without ever the patient ever saying anything, and some can't. And when you can't, that's okay. Ask the patient, what can I do to help you today? How are you feeling today? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we have to just stop and just take a moment, even in our busy, chaotic days. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's another principle? All right. Nurses should be positive and not offer false hope to patients or make light of their illness. This one for me is the one that I harp on the most. One, I'm a very positive person, um, but I'm a very real person. So I'm not going to tell you something that's not true. Um, So give you an example. Patient just diagnosed with uh, cancer because I'm experiencing this within my own family uh, today where we had a family member that was diagnosed with cancer and the look was puzzling when the person, when this particular family member received the news. Why was the look puzzling? Because the name of the cancer, she didn't understand. She didn't recognize. Mm -hmm. So the physicians came in and they said it in physician terms. A lot of times the physician says something and the patient looks puzzled and just says yes because they just want you to go. And then the nurse has to be in tune to know that patient did not get that. Go back and break that down in terms that the patient can understand and then let the patient know what we're we're really dealing with. And so stay positive. Yes, you have cancer. We have support. We have treatment. We have things that we can do to try to work this out. They say that you have maybe a 40% chance of survival. Well, let's focus on the 40. Let's not focus on the 60. And so we just have to kind of switch places sometimes with our patients so that we can understand where that patient really is. And that takes a moment of being alert and being in the moment and being alive and being intentional. It does sound like the things that you're touching on here are really just reminding us as nurses to take a moment and, and to remember the human plight and address it from there. Absolutely. Okay, your next topic or principle from our theorist is about offering a variety of small meals instead of large ones and then don't do patient care while the patient's eating because it's distracting. Um, I just want to hear your take on this one. (laughs) Uh, I'm laughing because as you read that question, you laugh because you can visualize being in the hospital probably recently and experiencing just that. I know it's chaotic. I know it's hard. But somehow, together as a group of nursing, of nurses, we have to come together and fix that situation. You know, have moments. Have, it is patient time to eat. Four o'clock. Okay, everybody do paperwork at this time. Very good. So, if I were to go back and just kind of recap some of those principles that Florence Nightingale insisted for nurses, you know, she, at this point, wasn't asking for a lot. She was asking for basic human needs. Give them some, give them some light, some good light. Keep it quiet so they, they can rest and heal. Watch for cleanliness. Help the patient be clean. Certainly do our part to prevent infection by proper hand hygiene. Uh, be positive. Um, you're going to, your positivity is going to 
interact with the patients and those around you. And, and then even just something as little as, you know, offering a meal and having a meal and then not disturbing them in the midst of that meal. Um, it, these all seem like just polite, nonsensical things that, that, that nurses could do and that, that other human beings can do too, who <laughs> care for, care for family That's members right. at home. It, it's, um, it's all good stuff. But it sounds like that, you know, you're reminding us that maybe even on these basic things, we don't always meet those basic tasks. That's right. And our basic principles is just putting the human element, the human factor back in healthcare. That's what we're missing today. Okay. All right. Next question. In honor of the upcoming 200 year birthday of Florence Nightingale, what are we going to do as nurses to ensure that our profession remains well-respected? Well, this is where we have to take ownership and accountability <clears throat> for who we are as nurses. Nurses, it's time to rise up, take your place in leadership roles in your facilities, get counseling for your own issues so you can be fully available to deliver excellence in patients' care. I'm going to pause there because you probably say, why would you say the nurses need to get counseling? Well, let's talk about this. If I'm the nurse coming on a shift today and on last night, my mother was in a major car accident and I have a close friend that is dealing with stage four cancer and I've had no one to talk to about this, receiving this information before I have to go to work the next day. Where did I get an opportunity to unload? that information. So when I'm going about my day to do care, I may not be fully in tune. I may start deflecting because of the things that I'm dealing with. And people say, leave that stuff at the door. Don't bring your personal stuff to work. I've heard that many times as a young professional. And what I'm realizing now as someone who's now a seasoned professional, that's not always true. You have to take time to take care of you before you can take care of someone else. No different than when we're on an airplane, they say, put that mask on, your oxygen mask on you first before you take care of someone else. So that's why I say, nurses, utilize your insurance to get counseling, take care of you fully so you can better take care of the patients. Okay, very good. Next question. Our founder was quoted as being a ministering angel in hospitals by the London Times in 1855. Where are you going to take us with that statement? So Florence Nightingale was the one that was considered, she was quoted as being the ministering angel in the hospital. She's the one that had the special touch that can take care of her patients so well. And where I came from with, uh, with this particular statement is, what quote would you be known for today? So as a nurse, Dawn, if your day was to come and we wanted to quote what type of nurse Dawn was today, what would be your title or what would be your quote? Carry the nurse with the gentle touch? Carry the nurse that's always in a rush when she comes into my room? What do we believe is being quoted by us today? So I'll start off to say in 2020, for me, Danielle, as a nurse, it is my mission to put humanity back in healthcare and take us back to the basics. So my personal quote is, nursing is a calling that requires your whole heart, body, and soul to deliver healing. I have taken care of many patients in my 19 years of nursing, and many times when people will hear my name, they will always say, she is the nurse who truly cared 
who truly listen. What type of legacy are you trying to leave today as a nurse? And I'll leave you with one more thing. Divine Franklin recently said, your difference is your destiny. Keep the edges of your difference sharpened. Nurses, you are the difference. You are the difference that have a unique fit into the healthcare puzzle. So you must take time to keep your edges sharpened by continuing your education. Use your strong ability to be a strong observationist, someone that can assess the patient from the moment they walk through the door without ever having to touch the patient. And then speak out. Don't see things and not speak up about it. If you're doing a procedure or you're doing a particular practice that you see is just not helping, we're just going in circles. Speak up about it. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's do some research so we can get changes. We lose our voice when we don't stand up and we, when we just want to get by and we, when we don't want to ruffle the feathers of our facilities. We have to learn to accept our differences. We are nurses. Stand strong and own who you are. Thank you so much, Danielle. You've done a nice job of reminding us about Florence Nightingale, a few of her principles, a few of her thoughts about being a nurse. And I really am looking forward to this year, the year of the nurse. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. Coming up after the break, we'll hear from Dear Ivy, a clinical nurse specialist who's going to answer your clinical infusion questions. Stay tuned. So today, Dear Ivy has two questions. The first one, Dear Ivy, what is the standard of practice for documentation of arm circumference with a pick? Upper arm circumference measurements continue to be recommended. Measure the upper arm circumference before pick insertion and when clinically indicated to assess for the presence of edema and possibly deep vein thrombosis. Take the measurement 10 centimeters above the antecubital fossa. And consideration should be given to measuring arm circumference with dressing changes as well. Each observation should be documented in the patient's medical record. You can refer to INS Standard of Practice 10, Documentation in Medical Record, and also Standard of Practice 33, Vascular Access Site Preparation and Device Placement. Okay, here's our second question for Dear Ivy. Dear Ivy, is it necessary to place a new pick when parenteral nutrition is ordered? If so, is there a time frame from when the pick is placed that it can be used? For example, is it 24 to 48 hours? And here's Dear Ivy's answer. No. The idea of a virgin, quote-unquote, line for parental nutrition is not evidence-based practice. A dedicated lumen is different in that one lumen and administration set is dedicated to PN only for two reasons, drug incompatibility and infection prevention. A PIC should be able to be used for all infusions as soon as the correct catheter tip location has been validated. And your IV would direct you to INS Standard of Practice 61, Parenteral Nutrition. 
Thank you for your questions. This concludes this episode of INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. We welcome your comments. You can reach us at infusionroom at ins1.org. That's infusionroom at ins1.org. Thank you for listening.